Welcome everyone. We're glad you could join us. Today is our final practical webinar on material performance, and we will be talking about the life cycle costing framework and its application to unsealed roads. My name is Ekaterina Kologrivova. I'm a communications officer at Austroads, and I will be moderating today's session. Um, I acknowledge the Australian Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people as the custodians of the land from which we are broadcasting today. I pay my respect to eldest past, present and emerging. I also acknowledge the Treaty of Waitani and Maori as the regional people of New Zealand. A little bit about Austroads. We are the peak organization of Australasian transport and traffic agencies. Our focus is to support our member organizations to deliver an improved road transport network. Our structure, Austroads, uses a program management approach to deliver its work. Each program is focused on an operational area of the road system. The project that we are discussing today was delivered under the assets program, which is managed by Rose Guppy and coordinated by Elise Esteban. So a bit of housekeeping. Uh, the presentation will run for an hour and a half and, and include three short Q&A sessions. We do record all our sessions and we will email you once the recording is uploaded to our website. We also distribute all our webinars uh, via podcast and you can subscribe to our channel by searching for Austroads in, our, um, in your podcast app. If you run into any technical problems, please let me know in the question section of your sidebar. Just a quick tip, uh, if you lose connection um, or your sound or your picture freezes, um, so it's most likely an issue with your connection. So closing your browser and rejoin the session via your email registration usually fixes that issue. Uh, the reports uh, this webinar is based on are also available through the handout section uh, of your sidebar, which you will find on the right-hand side of your screen, or they can be downloaded from our website for free. Um, today's presentation slides can also be downloaded from the handout section. It can be helpful to have them uh, in front of you, especially when you want to send us your questions for the Q&A. Uh, to do that, uh, just simply tap them uh, in the questions box at any stage of the webinar. It would also be great if you could note uh, the slide number that your question relates to. It helps us answer your questions as best as we can. So our guests today are Zia Rice, Tyrone Toole and Laurie Neuer. Zia Rice uh, has worked at the Australian Road Research Board for just over four years and she leads the Perth Pavement team. Zia has over five years previous experience as a geotechnical consultant uh, where she gained extensive field experience in natural materials and engineering geology. Our second speaker is Tyrone Toole. His experience covers uh, highway engineering and project management in over 20 countries. He specializes in research um, and advice related to the management and design of low and high volume roads. Tyrone then will be joined by Laurie Neuer. Laurie is a principal engineer at the Australian Road Research Board and he has been involved in the delivery uh, and management of various research and consultancy projects in the local and state government areas. His expertise uh, covers maintenance strategy, contract uh, administration and asset management, asset valuation and dilapidation um, assessment. Um, so we will first hear from Zia, uh, who will provide a recap on uh, study background and factors uh, influencing unsealed road performance. Then you will have an opportunity to ask any questions in relation to that. 
Uh, next, Tarun uh, will take us through the life cycle costing framework uh, for unsealed roads and the Cassowary Coast case study. And then there will be another Q&A. Uh, Laurie then talk uh, about material selection and blending based on the Port Macquarie Hastings case study, uh, followed by another Q&A. Finally, uh, Tarun will cover some additional published resources, and we will finish, um, and he will finish the webinar with concluding uh, remarks. So, welcome to you all, um, and I will now hand over to Zia. Thanks, Ekaterina, and thanks for those few housekeeping items. So welcome everyone to our final webinar of this three webinar series. Um, we've covered the materials assessment process in the first webinar, which was um, back in May. And we also covered the life cycle costing framework in relation to sealed roads um, a few weeks ago. So recordings of these past webinars can be downloaded uh, from the Austroads website if you've missed one or if you want to go back over the material again. So uh, as Ekaterina mentioned, today's webinar will be focusing on the life cycle costing framework and its application to unsealed roads. So similar to the last webinar, we'll be providing some more in-depth information um, as well as covering some real life case studies just to help consolidate uh, all that information. All right, so let's get started with uh, a bit of a recap of this project and, and dip into the factors which influence unsealed road performance. So this project started in 2018 with a focus on sustainable roads through fit for purpose um, materials. So this stemmed from a predecessor project, uh, which was called Appropriate Use of Marginal and Non-Standard Materials or um, APT33318. And this project was a bit of a foundation for this current project that, that we've completed and really set the scene um, for what this project would focus on. So the essential outcomes of, of this project included understanding the effect of material traffic and, and climate on fit-for-purpose outcomes. Uh, we also looked at predicting and controlling performance, uh, the importance of material testing and, and also the use of sound construction techniques and the importance of risk management techniques for increasing our fit-for-purpose material options. Uh, also covered by this project is the life cycle costing framework, which we're going through part of today. And this essentially allows us to understand the consequences of our choices uh, from the initial selection of materials and, and fit for purpose option all the way through to all, our, all the way through our pavement life, um, including construction and ongoing maintenance. So by having this big picture understanding of our life cycle costs, we can refine our practices to get the best response from our pavement assets. So just touching on the two report outputs for this project again, uh, this webinar and, and the past two webinars in this series um, are focusing on the technical basis report. And this report contains a lot of detail about how the frameworks and the risk assessment for materials was developed. It also discusses evidence and justifications for the tools that we developed. So um, if you're going through the other report, the user guide and evaluation tool, and you think, I wonder why they've done it this way, um, it's a good, good idea to take a look at the technical basis report, which will hopefully answer any questions you have. Um, the evaluation tool and user guide report, as I mentioned, is more of a practical side uh, of things. And we presented on this during our original webinar back in uh, April. So you can also find the recording for this uh, on the Austroads website. But this uh, original webinar was, was quite a general overview of the outputs of this project. 
Um, on the slide, I've just popped up um, some other resources which uh, we've used in this project um, and are very useful. So we have the, the green book up the back, uh, which focuses on uh, pavement materials and you know the geological terms and that type of thing. Uh, we also have our Austroads design guide and, and most for unsealed roads. And most importantly, we also have this previous project report, which I mentioned earlier, um, the appropriate use of marginals um, and non-standards. And as I mentioned today, we'll be focusing on the technical basis report. And you can download these reports uh, through the handouts in your sidebar, I think. So within the technical basis and also the user guide, <coughs> excuse me, report, we've included uh, several case studies relating to the life cycle costing framework um, for unsealed roads. So these case studies uh, are really there to provide real world worked examples to make understanding and using the framework uh, a bit easier. Um, and we're gonna cover over a few of these case studies today in a little bit more depth uh, later on in the webinar. So the scope of these case studies are all a little bit different and that's so we can cover a range of scenarios. So we have uh, first up the Cassowary Coast in Queensland, which is looking at the life cycle cost basis for optimum uh, maintenance cycles. So really looking at maintenance and, and how choosing the best maintenance option depending on our climate um, can have a major outcome on our life cycle costing. Uh, next, we'll, we're gonna be looking at Port Macquarie Hastings region and the idea of material performance and different sources of materials. And finally, the Colac Otway region in Victoria, which is about material selection and blending of different sources to get a suitable outcome. So a bit of a background to the project there. So let's start to get into the influencing factors of unsealed road performance. Um, these are factors, these factors are really important to understand as they provide insight into the life cycle cost and also help us understand how to tailor different aspects of our unsealed roads to reduce our life cycle cost. So unsealed roads vary and uh, impacted by many factors, which means we often get varied performance, sometimes good and sometimes not so good. So uh, to put some of these into perspective to help us paint a full picture of fit for purpose solutions, um, influencing factors can include uh, road type, current condition and suitability to the loads, uh, surfacing materials, construction quality, uh, vehicle types and level of load, maintenance strategies, and also the response to climate and traffic, uh, climate as well as traffic speeds, and also the interaction of our asset with surrounding terrain. So really understanding these different aspects helps us make informed whole of life cycle cost assessment decisions, and also decisions throughout the life of our unsealed asset. So expanding on some of these performance factors, um, as mentioned in the previous slide, uh, we have our effect of, of climate. So we can have dry weather deterioration. So we have uh, dust generation and dry erosion, but we can also have wet weather deterioration of an unsealed pavement as, a, as either a whole or, or wet deterioration of the unsealed surfacing and even deterioration of our weak, if we've got a weak roadbed material. We also have this effect of construction quality, which can cause different deterioration characteristics. So I've just put a um, example up on the slide here of an unsealed pavement. Again, 
uh, real life case study, which has been, uh, we've got two scenarios here. We've got um, one that's been mechanically compacted and another which um, hasn't been mechanically compacted. And the difference in the rough, roughness progression with time um, over the asset is much higher where our construction quality is a lot lower where we're not using um, any type of mechanical compaction. So it just demonstrates uh, how our construction quality can affect our, you know, our whole performance of our pavement going forward. And we also have a traffic, you know, this traffic effect, which doesn't just include, you know, how big our loads are or load volumes, but also um, load magnitude and turning effects when they're combined. So um, the picture I've just popped up on the side of an unsealed logging road where we have very heavy vehicles um, combined with very tight turns in hilly terrain. And that puts a lot of stress on our unsealed roads, especially as you can see in that photo, it is a little bit wet as well. So we've got all these factors uh, interacting together. And finally, we also have the effect of our surrounding terrain, which I mentioned. So this kind of influences our traffic defect as well, because um, if our surrounding terrain is quite tight, then that's going um, it's going to dictate our pavement geometry. Um, and, and give us that hilly terrain or, or tight turns, which are really going to um, play in with the traffic. So I've talked about uh, load and climate and a little bit about construction and terrain, but material properties also play a major role in the performance of an unsealed road. And we really need to understand what our material is to begin with. Um, and then this also lets us understand what our material properties are and what will work in our design scenario. Now, I've touched on this in the first webinar of this uh, three webinar series where I talked about um, the material assessment process which we developed, which provides a material risk, uh, expected risk of our material depending on our design scenario. Um, but essentially, it's really about finding that sweet spot of properties depending on your climate and traffic. So uh, we have the South African unsealed material selection figure up on the slide, which formed the basis for our unsealed road material risk assessment for this project. Uh, we do use it a little bit differently, but we use uh, some of the similar windows that they've de um, demonstrated on, on their figure. And again, further information on this can be found in the technical basis report. And this figure really uses grading and plasticity characteristics to uh, demonstrate the typical performance we'd expect of different materials for an unsealed application. Um, I've also got a plot on the slide which uh, demonstrates various shrinkage product or you know also known as uh, weighted linear shrinkage. Uh, and this little graph down on the bottom right uh, shows a sh uh, shrinkage product versus material loss. And you can see here it's all about selecting that sweet spot for our material properties you know based on our design scenario um, to decrease deterioration and and decrease the risk of poor performance of our unsealed pavements so i've just got uh, i've also got the equation up on the slide there for grading modulus which uh, you use with that south african figure along with the shrinkage product and the grading modulus is a collection of um, uh, percent passings for your different size sieves, so your uh, particle size distribution, so you can uh, calculate that quite easily. And then wherever you fit within these windows will give you an indication of you know, how your material is expected to perform. 
The next big influence on unsealed road performance um, and a factor which also affects the whole of life cycle costing aspect is maintenance effects. Um, it's really important to understand if we're undertaking the correct maintenance or you know, having the correct maintenance cycle uh, for our design scenario. So sometimes more frequent, smaller maintenance treatments um, you know, may seem to be the most um, effective from a whole of life cycle perspective, you know, doing a little bit quite often rather than um, doing big, big things less often. Um, but this isn't always the case. And, and this is demonstrated on the slide with these two different diagrams. So we have uh, light grading on the left, undertaken twice in the cycle. Um, and we're looking at on the right, we've got a heavy grading. Um, let me just take that back so you can see that. Uh, so on the right, we have a, a heavy grading where we've only taken undertaken it once within the cycle. Um, and for this scenario, the maintenance treatment treatment on the left, so the frequent light grading um, is undertaken, but the roughness is returning to that uh, typically of pre-grading quite quickly. So really this maintenance operation, um, it has a, a you know an initial effect, but then we're, we're coming back to um, you know, where we were to start with. So this this has a really changed the performance of our pavement. Uh, um, opposite to this, the maintenance um, treatment on the right of the side, it, it's changing our roughness progression again at the start, but it's also changing it going forward. So it's actually making a bit more of a difference um, to our pavement performance um, in the future. Now, this isn't always the case, but for some unsealed scenarios, you know, this type of uh, big, rare, uh, you know, one cycle, you know, in, within one maintenance treatment within a cycle can be better than, you know, two maintenance treatments within a cycle that are smaller. It's really about understanding what works for your scenario and, and you know, undertaking a bit of trial and error when it comes to um, maintenance cycles and maintenance types to really understand, you know, how to, how to target your pavement in your scenario. Uh, just a reminder at this point to send through your questions uh, via the sidebar so we can answer them uh, during the Q&A. So getting onto moisture loads now um, and the impacts of moisture loads on, the, on our pavement performance um, is another you know, big consideration when we think about whole of life cycle costing for our unsealed pavements. And moisture has a very detrimental effect on our pavement performance, whether that's moisture from rainfall or even moisture flowing you know, around our pavement due to uh, due to the terrain and, and drainage and that type of thing, it all has an effect on the performance. So we really need to understand, you know, where we are in terms of climate and expected rainfall and also understand our terrain as well. So on the slide, I have a map of Australia, which is taken from the um, Bureau of Meteorology website. And this just demonstrates, you know, how the average annual rainfall around the country uh, changes depending on where you are. Um, and it's just a really good way to understand, you know, how variable our rainfall is to begin with, but also what type of moisture loads you might expect um, on your pavement and your location. So this is a good way to understand um, initially. I also have a graph uh, up on the slide there, uh, which is here to demonstrate the differences in rainfall and how that affects uh, things like gravel loss on our unsealed pavements when we have, you know, similar traffic volumes. So uh, for this graph, we have the same traffic and we have an increase in gravel loss as rainfall increases. 
And this is due to things like, you know, the erosive action of rainfall. So this really just further demonstrates, you know, some of the effects moisture has on our unsealed assets and how we might, you know, start thinking about how to combat those effects of this load, um, which is moisture. I mean, one of the hardest things with moisture loads is really being able to accurately predict. Um, rainfall patterns are often very uh, variable and even unpredictable. And this picture up on the slide, this slide's just here to demonstrate, you know, the variability for the last 20 years between the year 2000 and, and year 2019, just how variable our rainfall in Australia has been. Um, we can get very wet years, you know, 2010 uh, Queensland floods and, and 2011, but we can also um, have very dry years. So it's it's really the difficulty in identifying any models or patterns, you know, within this variability to help us predict extreme events, you know, such as drought or floods. So we really need to keep this in the back of our mind when we're trying to quantify our moisture loads and the effect of these loads on our unsealed asset because it's often you know quite unpredictable so we need to understand uh, what our worst case effect uh, is and in how can we can account for as much of a worst case as we can within our budget and and resource uh, resource pool um, and also, you know, what's the best option? And, and again, how's it going to influence our whole of life cycle costing? Um, you know, higher expenditure upfront to design against extreme events may pay off in terms of life cycle costing when an extreme event does hit. But yeah, we need to keep that in the back of our mind that obviously we have a limited amount of budget and resources for our projects. So finally, we have risk reduction and these techniques uh, also influence the performance of our pavement as well as the whole of life cycle cost outcomes. And I have gone through some of these in, a, in the first webinar of this series when I talk about material risk because risk reduction, um, you know, comes into that a little bit in, in reducing the risk of our material performance. Um, in terms of risk reduction for our unsealed pavements, uh, these include things such as, you know, effective treatment. So, um, you know, compaction or grading method or, or maintenance cycles, that type of thing. Uh, we also have our material modification, including blending with other sources, uh, screening or crushing. Um, but we also have uh, these, these other modification methods. And these include things like proprietary products for our unsealed uh, surface treatments. So things for dust suppression and erosion protection. And I think it's important to note that, you know, like with any type of stabilisation treatment, it's always good practice to undertake trials of proprietary products within our design scenario to ensure that they are, you know, compatible with our um, loads or material or our, our rainfall, just to make sure that we, you know, we're going to get the right outcome when we combine these products, you know, with our expected material and, and, and other conditions. We also have uh, moisture management as a risk reduction technique, which includes uh, increased drainage, crossfall, um, or embankment height, things like that, to stop moisture getting into our pavement. Um, and we need to consider these techniques in alignment with our whole of life cycle costing, you know, to understand if they do reduce risk and if they actually do have a positive impact on our life cycle costing of our unsealed asset. We also have good practice techniques, which we should be undertaking, uh, you know, regardless and typically, you know, will have a positive impact on our life cycle costing outcomes. 
Um, and these kind of good practice techniques, again, I mentioned uh, in the first webinar. So, you know, this is just making sure our construction quality it is high and also ensuring that we undertake ongoing maintenance of all aspects of our unsealed pavement. So things like, you know, ensuring our drainage is suitable, uh, undertaking uh, vegetation control, because, you know, these things all affect the performance of our, of our pavement and also our life cycle costing outcomes. So they're really, they're just good practice techniques. So at the end of the day, it's, it's really about painting a big picture understanding of our unsealed asset. Um, so the materials, the loads, the climate, um, the maintenance, the construction, risk reduction, good practice, all of those things. So we can have visibility to be able to tweak or change controllable components of our asset, you know, to get a better life cycle cost outcome and also, you know, ensure a performance outcome um, from our pavement. Okay, and with that, I'm going to hand back over to Ekaterina and she's going to go through our first Q&A session before Ty uh, starts going through the life cycle costing framework and also some of the case studies. So thank you, Ekaterina. Uh, thank you very much, Zia. That was very interesting. And we have a few questions from the audience. Um, so I will start with the question that relates uh, to slide 13. Um, so here you talked about the scope uh, of the case studies and uh, one of our participants is asking if you could explain the basis for selecting those case studies. Yeah, and that's a, a really good question, Ekaterina. Um, so the case studies that we included well, in today's webinar, but also in our uh, report, because there is a few extra ones in there, um, they, they come from examples um, of good practice in real life where, you know, challenges ex have existed, but, you know, local governments have invited us at ARB to, you know, to assist them in their performance of their pavements. So um, Cassowary is a really good um, example of um, a continuous effort to improve performance in a very challenging uh, high rainfall environment. Uh, whereas the others uh, up on the slide, you know, these are local governments that have sought advice from us and provided uh, opportunities to emphasise the importance of, of different issues within um, understanding our unsealed road performance. So just uh, real world examples, which we've, you know, been lucky enough to work on at ARB, which we really think highlight um, some of the main things that we're trying to get across by this project. Thank you, Zia. Um, and I will take us to slide 15. Um, so the next question relates to uh, slide 15 and also to slide 17. I'll show you slide 17 as well. Mm -hmm. Here we go. Um, so these slides clearly demonstrate the influence of techniques, uh, including equipment use. Uh, did you identify other examples uh, where such dramatic differences in performance resulted? Um, Ty, maybe you also would like to add something to that. Yeah, I think this would be a good one for Ty, actually. Thanks. Thanks, Ekaterina. Thank you. Thank you, Zia. Thank you, Ekaterina. The techniques, as we illustrated, were some that came uh, across very strongly. I think uh, Zia raised the issue of mechanical uh, compaction. Another another emphasis I've seen uh, that really leads to even greater accelerated deterioration is where you've not got the moisture content right. So that combination of a lack of mechanical compaction or uh, 
or the lack of what moisture can even lead to even more accelerated deterioration. So that would be an example. Uh, another is when you've got a you're not on the sweet spot of materials. So you've got materials which really don't have the cohesive properties and the fine materials within them. And and just like a flower, it will break up in dust uh, very quickly. So those are some of the examples uh, that we've that we've seen. Thank you. While we are on this slide, um, another question is, uh, what device uh, is used to measure roughness and who offers the roughness test service? Um, I might let Ty answer this one as well. He's a little bit more um, aware of our unsealed uh, asset management techniques. So Ty, do you want to fill in on that one? Yes. Uh, when, when we're looking at some of the case studies, and I'll mention Cassowary Coast as an example, because they were really a champion in terms of we could draw, this is going back some years, also drawn the work that they did in, as part of the earlier Ostrode's work in the reporting of new models. They were using the AWRB reformator, but it could be any other device that uh, one can calibrate and get uh, reasonable, reasonably consistent uh, roughness measurements at. And again, as we as we each know, there are other devices, network survey vehicles with lasers and other things that can be employed as well. So a variety of different devices can be used uh, and there's a variety of suppliers. Thank you very much, Ty. Um, so I'm gonna take us to slide, uh, I think 21. Um, and the question is, um, do you conduct repeated load triaxle testing to confirm effectiveness of blended gradings? Um, I mean, for an unsealed uh, road application, um, that might not be appropriate. It might be, um, you know, slightly, slight bit overkill. That might be something that you would do for a sealed asset. Um, but blending and screening and crushing and, and material modification and that type of thing um, can really, you can see the effects of that by using, um, you know, a simple spreadsheet, you know, so you can, you can undertake your uh, blend of materials, whatever proportion, you know, you choose. Um, and you can have uh, within the spreadsheet, you know, your specification limits for grading um, and also your specification limits uh, for plasticity or, you know, uh, what limits you're trying to target, um, and through that spreadsheet calculation, you can have you can um, you know see that from different proportions of materials mixing together, uh, how that changes your you know your material that you that you're making, and how that fits within your envelope um, of specifications. Because uh, you know as we get closer to uh, an envelope or desired um, specifications, our performance. Um, you know, performance risk starts to decrease. And if you uh, review our first webinar on material uh, assessment process, uh, you'll understand that, you know, you don't always have to target specification limits. You can target uh, sweet spots of materials and, and you know, um, what to expect uh, performance-wise in different climates. So uh, when it comes to material modification, the best way uh, to understand, you know, how well um, that's or what kind of performance you're going to get, sorry, is from more looking at, you know, your new grading and new plasticity rather than undertaking these, you know, quite in-depth tests such as um, RLT. 
Thank you very much, dear. Uh, well, we have lots and lots of questions, but we need to be mindful of time. Yep. So I'll, I'm just gonna we're just gonna take one uh, last question for this session, and then we'll yep. move on to uh, Ty's presentation. So the question is probably it relates to slide 13. So it's uh, about the case studies. So what consideration was taken in the case studies for appropriate drainage? Um, again, I might hand it over to Ty for this one because he's a little bit more. Um, in the know about the case studies than, than I am. Ty, able to um, help with that that question? Yeah, uh, okay, thank you. Again, a, a, a useful one. Uh, we're always emphasising drainage as being important. I mean, the area where, where the, the biggest emphasis has been, uh, we know we can have flooding, we can have overtopping of roads, and that uh, can be an issue anyway. Uh, the most important focus that we've put on it and we've seen some of the best practices in is get, getting the crossfall right and maintaining it. Uh, that's probably the area where I put the focus. As soon as we, we lose camber, uh, deterioration will accelerate, potholes and the rest will, will build up. If we don't manage to restore it properly, you're faced with that challenge again and deterioration can be rapid. Uh, Aside from that, clearly in 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 mountainous and hilly terrain, uh, you don't want uh, drainage external to the road coming in and impacting the performance or wiping out your asset. So all of those uh, aspects about drainage are important. Thank you. All right, thank you very much, Ty. Um, and I'm just going to hand it over to you so you can take us through the life cycle costing framework. Thank you, Ekaterina and uh, Zia, and thank you for all those interesting questions. So my my task here is to give some introduction to life cycle costing framework case study application with an initial one, uh, an initial case study. Just to emphasize the overall approach in life cycle costing isn't different per se in principle, uh, from say seal roads, it's the same basis in, in that we're trying to assemble information, quantify it, add value where we can, account for aspects of cost, uh, the effectiveness of treatments, the impact on road users, all of these things. So it is conventional benefit cost analysis, isn't it? Uh, so that's fundamental levels of service and what you're targeting uh, are also important. And again, the, the principles are similar. We are trying to deliver, a, let's say, a smoother ride for a larger, higher amounts of traffic so that the net, uh, and, and it's beneficial to do so, and the net uh, cost reductions and vehicle operating costs, etc. you're trying to account for that. Uh, and you'll spend a bit more to achieve it. So we need to be mindful of some of those uh, principles and they go right through what we do. On the slide here, road performance met models, and I also have in the grey uh, oval there, LRDS, the Local Road Deterioration Study. Now this was about a 10-year investment by many councils and 
state governments, state and territory governments throughout the country and in New Zealand as well. And it amassed a significant amount of information over many sites, initially uh, monitoring uh, unsealed roads as well as sealed roads, and it's provided the basis for uh, our models. That was also followed by follow-up studies in places like Cassowary and Blaney and other places, uh, uh, Modibu, etc., in, in Victoria, and where there was a bit more controlled maintenance and we could bring in those effects better and perhaps and then report. So fundamentally, we have to be predicting as we as we did, and we covered some of this in the uh, webinar a few weeks ago on sealed roads. But what we're focusing then on is economics and the option selection. Uh, put up different options, as you saw from what Zia presented, and test them. Test them, you can see them visibly, you can measure roughness and other, other attributes, and then value, uh, uh, determine the value. So the diagram over on the right, and you have heard this a few times, my the Goldilocks diagram, what we're trying to do is hit that sweet spot. In any circumstance, the balance of uh, that you're looking at, the case you're really looking at, there's a unique sweet spot for every location, essentially. And it might be achieved by different methods. But what we are trying to do, we're varying the maintenance standard. You might say the maintenance input, and I'll show you examples in a moment. As you increase the input, the costs go up. We are also uh, looking at the response to road user costs. And if your maintenance standard is low, your road user costs are high. So it's that sum that we're looking at. Often what we also use this diagram for is to illustrate the effect of a budget shortfall and then the impact on excess transport costs. And, and we communicate ratios such as three or four to one you think you're saving a penny or a dollar or a cent, but you're actually in, uh, impacting your community more. So that uh, switch is very important to, to help uh, deliver the best we can for the community uh, with the resources we have. So the key considerations and level of service, we know there's drivers on road importance, how well is it expected to perform, we don't want to close it. So we're in this type of analysis that we're doing here, we're talking about roads being open, and that's a fundamental thing. If we're talking about roads being closed, then the complexity in any economic situation increases. Uh, and we're not really talking about that, we're talking about roads which can operate. We also know that roads are higher importance, to uh, demand a higher LOS, all these fundamentals. So we need to always be mindful of that, much like sealed roads. But in tackling what we've been doing here, and uh, there was a question about why did we pick case studies, etc. We've picked case studies that focused on some of those simple and regular techniques, grading uh, frequency and the method being very important. 
and to get the most out of them. So when we start looking at levels of services, how can we improve levels of service, even with, let's say it's with acceptable materials that are best available, we've still got to maintain it properly. We also emphasised early, we've got to construct it properly. So for unsealed roads, we're looking at roughness as an overall condition measure, shape, that emphasis and uh, shedding water, keeping good shape uh, reduces the rate of change of deterioration, rate of increase, material depth. We're expecting not to be punching through into the subgrade and creating excessive potholes, etc. So there's assumptions here that we've got to maintain that. We've got to assess uh, gravel depth, ensure it's adequate uh, for the, uh, the traffic which is being carried and not have failure in that direction. So again, we have over on the table on the right, we have some examples of what might be classed as very good to very poor ranges of condition. The actual values that you might target will vary, of course, by traffic level. Touching on the maintenance standards and criteria, we think about clearly, in your experience, reactive works responding to defects and hazards. But we also know not to leave it too late and to be simply reactive. A reactive treatment can also be a major treatment where uh, the gravel thickness has become, uh, has, has got to a minimum level and we need to restore it, else uh, significant issues can arise. And a lot of what we rely on is a schedule or cyclic works and to keep that up through grading, vegetation management, drain clearing, etc. What that and uh, what I've observed there are cases where performance can be left to become so poor that you're always going back and you're fixing those significant defects. The idea of a scheduled set of works is to, with appropriate effort, to keep the road in a shape that it will sustain itself and be in reasonable performance. It will probably lead to you not needing to or not receiving as many customer call-outs requests. From a risk management point of view, again, if you're being too late in your responses and it gets to a defect hazards level, then you've got roads in poor condition and how do you manage them for the safety of the public? And really, by optimising the way you, you work, you can avoid those circumstances. So the aim is to, to have, let's say, our treatment policy, a scheduled policy, where you're aiming to respond at about the right time a, on a, a scheduled frequency, depending on, uh, on traffic level. A, and that's usually a, a good guide and helps uh, ensure the their network is maintained in reasonable condition for the community, customer call-outs can be less, etc. So 
essentially we need to build up uh, our lifecycle based options selection etc considering uh, the different treatments we might employ uh, i'd be from a grading point of view i'd be putting an emphasis on schedules and testing different schedules and the outcome will be different levels of service better levels of service for instance if you're doing it more frequently but being mindful not to over-service. It's that sweet spot that we're trying to uh, assess. Performance, again, quantitative evidence. Look, we use our experience, our eyes itself are, uh, are good for evidence. What have we seen that works? Costs, knowing the supply costs of materials, the upkeep costs, are we actually uh, spending high costs on this frequent uh, ineffective maintenance? Are we keeping those costs and learning the lessons? But we need to understand costs. Deterioration, etc. I mentioned earlier, the local roads deterioration study uh, work and the follow-on work is a good basis, but ensure you always calibrate Total transport costs, we've got sources. Uh, road user costs, we have the national guidance on uh, road, road user cost values. And again, they have it, impacts from roughness, from terrain, etc., in their determination. So again, working towards that, in this case, we're trying to pick that sweet spot, the lowest total transport costs in and proposing a, a rational basis for uh, investing. So any questions, uh, please continue to send them through uh, in, the, in your toolbar and we'll pick them up shortly. Now to take this case study, this is really with all the experience we had in data being supplied by Cassavary Coast going back in the Ostroads work with Tim Martin and Mitch Savage and other people involved, we've assembled that and we've taken the opportunity to observe how they performed, how others performed, and then we've subjected it to analysis. So looking at this next chart, let's take the one on the left first of all. What we're trying to illustrate there is the condition measured by roughness, IRI, before maintenance and the condition after maintenance. So we can see in the green slope there, there's some slope before and after. If you've got a 10 IRI before, you might get a 6 IRI getting down to reasonably uh, smooth to fair unsealed roads. Up here, the treatment would appear to be very ineffective and it's been so for different reasons. So better post-grading condition in, in this case is illustrating effective technique. Perhaps it could be even better if you were recycling or come doing a complete reworking, you could be almost down to minimum values. The other aspect to illustrate is when these techniques are applied with moisture and compaction, the cross falls right, it's managed uh, well, 
A, then the deterioration rate can be quite low, even under severe uh, or high rainfall conditions. What we saw from an analysis of the general uh, sites right across Australia in the original uh, unsealed road studies is the rate of deterioration that was almost typical, you would say, because it was being driven by that population of data. It looks pretty poor. So typical at the time, it really uh, might not reflect a great uh, effective technique and standard of maintenance. What was also interesting about the cassowary work and other uh, observations was, and they did intervene along the time. Uh, so they had some uh, scheduled maintenance uh, over time, they were monitoring it, and it really kept down very low. And this is an, an extremely challenging environment where you've got over two and a half millimetres of rainfall per year and you get these cyclonic impacts coming in off the Pacific uh, Ocean. So this mix of getting the treatments like the materials like crossfall, all of that, uh, and applying it is, is, is critical. So what we've tried to do is to reproduce that effect in the analysis we've done. We've not been playing around with fancy uh, analysis tools. We've been doing it simply uh, by taking the models, putting them in spreadsheets with costs, et cetera, and working through the determination of what I would call the optimum grading frequency. So it's only illustrative of what can be done. The evidence is, uh, as shown in the previous slide, really speaks to a demonstrates clearly the quantitative side of the work. So the objective in, in uh, this particular case study was to determine the grading frequency and type, which minimizes total transport costs, and to then, in investigating that, to vary things, the type and frequency of the technique. The costs obviously need to be appropriate. They won't always be the same. Traffic, climate, road terrain characteristic can be variable. Uh, materials could also be a variable. In this example, we've varied the frequency, we've varied the technique, we've varied the traffic levels. Uh, we've used a constant heavy vehicle traffic level, which was consistent with the location as well. And in this case, we use the rainfall. So each of these could be variables if you wanted to extend this kind of case study further. The models, as I mentioned, the local road deterioration, the latest work, and that is reported in the WAM 2101 report of 2018 that Zia mentioned earlier. The ATAP vehicle operating cost models, again, it's downloadable from the web, and uh, these were built uh, by ARB over many years and have been uh, updated in, in the latest ATAP guide. So looking at the analysis, and this is the classic sawtooth uh, deterioration, restoration by techniques, it depends how effective they can be, 
we're seeing what I'm calling the good practice. We've got months along the bottom axis. We have conditions, summary conditioned by roughness. You're seeing these trends. They differ. The area in between is really the impact that will happen on the community on vehicle operating costs. It's that area where uh, accounted for by vehicles, etc. The cost of vehicle operation, time costs with speeds may, may vary because of the uh, condition of the road. It all impacts uh, the community as well as the agency. So we build up, yes, there's more uh, complicated tables to the side, but we're basically building up a table of the different uh, AADT, the frequency, and the impacts on road agency costs, road, road user costs, and total costs. But the whole idea, uh, going back to the Goldilocks side, is to draw or plot these relationships uh, between traffic and input and cost. And then, in this case, what I've done here is picked up the line of optimums. And we can see they vary, uh, they vary significantly depending on the traffic level. Total transport costs are clearly high because more vehicles on the road will also lead to more uh, road user vehicle operating costs. And, and more maintenance input will, will lead to uh, greater road agency costs. So it's all this build-up that's, that's important. Simple outputs. Okay, we've got a chart. Good practice in this case. So this is using the techniques where we're ensuring this adequate moisture and compaction within the materials. The materials themselves need to be close to the sweet spot. Uh, and we've got a simple guide here for the teams to say, right, let's schedule based on this. If we're using different techniques where they're less effective, as illustrated by Zia, you will be coming back more frequently to deliver the same level of service. So your frequency is going to be, in this case, almost double. So again, it's getting that balance. We can also then, as uh, teams such as Cassavory are doing, is saying, look, and, and what's the annual average roughness that we should be targeting, or perhaps a maximum limit if you're doing some regular monitoring before we intervene? I'm not encouraging a reactive approach, but uh, that might be all that some people, uh, some agencies can afford or they might wish to have that in the pocket for when they've got call out saying, well, we're actually doing pretty good. And this is a commitment as a performance measure to the community. But what's always good is to keep on top of it by regular frequency, a regular frequency of, uh, of, of grading. Okay, so any questions?
Thank you very much, Tarun. Uh, we do have many questions, but before I jump uh, uh, to, to them, I wanted to let our audience know that if we don't get to your question today, we will answer all of them in writing and uh, we'll email you the copy of the response after the webinar. So don't worry about that. Uh, thanks again, Tarun. Uh, and I will start with the uh, question. Uh, that relates to slide 24. So uh, here you addressed life cycle cost assessment. Um, and the question is, um, if we were to update the road performance models to reflect all the data collected over the past 10, 20 years, do you think this chart would change significantly? Thank you uh, for the question. The, the chart on a slide 24 shouldn't change in the one the principle that we're showing there is is really as illustrated later on about the last slide i think uh, 32 where when you take specific case studies the drawing will obviously differ but the overall shape of it will be similar uh, so in principle the approach shouldn't change the evidence will always drive a specific solution as, as i illustrated in in slide 32 a the results in those could change and and also the results could change if for instance you have the rainfall or uh, and some of the other key variables but the principles still uh, stand up thank you Okay, thank you, Tarun. Um, well, our next question is in relation to slide 26. Yep, so grading frequency. So the question is, um, so what grading does this refer to? Routine grading, medium or heavy grading? So it's referring to medium and heavy grading, uh, not uh, light grading. Um, I'll take us to slide 33. Um, and the question here um, is about the optimum charts here, the charts, yep. Um, would these vary by location um, and do the recommended models address this? Mm -hmm. So much in, much in the same way as uh, Zio illustrated with the, the material loss versus climate, you get a, a sizable shift in the rate of roughness deterioration with climate as well. Uh, so the key then is there will be some shift, something say so like a 50% plus or minus in that, and it's really working through uh, different examples. So there will be a shift. Uh, the shift is perhaps not as much as uh, you might anticipate, but you might be doubling, not tripling or quadrupling the effort in lower uh, and higher rainfall zones, but there would be a shift. So it's important uh, when, when you develop simple guides that they're relevant to your local area, your district, your shire, but also the different areas in your shires uh, or in your uh, state. 
Thank you very much, Tarun. Um, and while we are on this slide, we've got another question. So what was the method for annual average roughness calculation? Uh, our participant is saying that some agencies um, use 70 percentile roughness for uh, strategies development rather than average roughness. So when we're uh, determining, we, we've, in anything that we're doing, we're using length weighted averages. Uh, the predicted uh, models, the model predictions that we're using, we're using it as it would be estimated, the mean expected. We're not uh, using probabilities. And that's really because the mean expected, or the mean that occurs, is what people experience, rather than have some bias in that, a, by a probability, for instance, distribution. All right, so thank you so much. Tracking that, and as it changes year by year, month by month, etc., you're valuing it. So you're mm -hmm. using that central estimate all the time. Okay, um, thank you, Tarun. And I will just uh, read out one last question uh, for the same slide. So when is ceiling becomes a viable option in the life cycle cost context? Okay. Uh, again, a very uh, good question. Just to uh, clarify, we we didn't emphasise this in this particular study. We made comments in the previous study, and there's also guidance in the uh, the latest national guides, local government guides, on the subject. the The challenge that we have is that break even volume to move to sale. Uh, from unsealed varies on a number of factors, as you as you as you well know. Probably around somewhere like 150 to 200 vehicles a day, in most cases, uh, where there's a reasonable proportion of heavy vehicles, the road is likely to be a candidate from an economic point of view for resealing. However. I've seen examples as low as 50 to 70 vehicles a day where the materials are particularly poor or the climate is so extreme that you're washing out all the time. So the range can be significant. The other one is uh, in studies in North Queensland, again, and we've illustrated that in one of the guides, is the actual improvement cost to an unsealed road if you're having to do uh, drainage and profile improvements, uh, longitudinal profile improvements, etc., that will vary it. But roughly around that area, 150 to 200 is would be normally my uh, assumption of a, of a typical break-even. Thank you very much, Tarun. Um, and I think we will close this Q&A and I will hand over to Laurie now um, to talk about material selection and blending. Oh, thank you, Katarina. Thanks, Ty, and thank you for the opportunity to contribute today. This is our second case study and it's from Port Macquarie Hastings Council. As Sia and Ty mentioned earlier, this is actually a real life uh, or real requests from councils ask us to uh, go down there and what they're looking for is actually a review of their unsealed road practice and 
to see how that compares against the good practice that Thai has been working on all these years. So uh, there are a few few scopes in there. Um, to the second slide. This trade task here is what they were actually interested in: uh, schedule maintenance, grading, uh, resheeting, and other performance considerations, uh, materials, properties. Uh, quick summaries of our findings is their maintenance grading uh, is their practice is actually pretty good. Uh, they, they've adapted uh, a good level of surface of grading based on road hierarchy. So for uh, higher order roads, they've been doing twice a year and lower order roads uh, one per year and as needed on their four-wheel drive tracks and the like. So that's what they've been doing. And some challenges in that area specifically, they've identified a couple of locations when they have issues with rutting and slipperiness when wet. And it's also happened to be at grade as well. Crown restorations, especially after it's been wear off, after some times, they've highlighted that as, as uh, another difficult difficulty for them to deal with when it comes to grading. Uh, resheeting was found to be very good result of the resheeting. Uh, the rates of deterioration, uh, it was when we compared against uh, typical practice, it was around eight times lower. So. Uh, loss of materials is a lot less within their their council, which is pretty good for them. But it carries a little bit of a risk if if, if it's not sustainable, you see, because it can impact their uh, asset valuations, obviously. Uh, three types of materials that they want us to have a look at: the traditional materials, uh, stratform quarries. And then they, they are trialing at that time. This was uh, this time of the year, June last year. They were trialing uh, a few sites, two sites, one with reclaimed millings, which seems to be working pretty good for them uh, based on a small sample, admittedly, and uh, recycled building materials, recycled concrete, as you can see on the right there. Those are what they look like before crushing, basically. I'll tell you about the performance of them in a minute. Those are our findings and our task going into Port Macquarie. And this is um, what we found. The practice that Ty highlighted earlier, yeah, we put that into practice, into practical terms. So from typical practice and good practice, an example for a one grading per year, this is the local roads. And this has also happened to be the sites where they have been, uh, they've been having any issues with slipperiness when wet, as you can see there. And an example for a higher order roads, this is 
called Macquarie Roads. We've been using these photos a lot, but it just so happened when we were there, they were doing some heavy grading. And this is an example for uh, twice a year grading type of roads, level of surface, so to speak. The ADT was around 150 for this road. Now, second portion of this is to look at their uh, materials properties, the list of natural materials on what you see here. We've got quite a bit of options. Uh, Port Macquarie's is on the closer to the uh, eastern seaboard and not too far inland, so they've got plenty to choose from. Uh, so we attempted to plot their materials into this performance chart here that Ty and C has been using. Sweet spot chart, I would call it. Uh, we didn't happen to have grading information for all the test results from this, these quarries. So an assumption was made for a good grading, uh, grading coefficients of 25. And as you can see, most of the materials, the natural occurring materials is actually in that sweet spot there. For those who are outside, this is the examples of uh, the materials that have been experiencing rutting in this particular case is also at grade. Uh, when it's wet, it will lead to slipperiness. Now, this one is the interesting part. It's the recycled concrete, recycled building materials. Corrugations everywhere. And as you can see here, it hardly have any crown left. It's pretty flat. As you can see the amount of water right at the center line there. It's pretty flat. It's corrugated. And it was it was probably two months after they, this photo was taken two months after the material has been placed. So at that time when we visited, it wasn't working for them. This is a trial site, mind you. Right, so three types of materials that they've been using. Um, this is the examples of the reclaimed millings roads that use the reclaimed millings materials. As you can see here, it looks in much better shape than this road. And it's been, it's been put down a lot longer in the recycled building material side, apparently. Over to your right here, you see gradings with grading envelopes from the unsealed road uh, manual uh, with another comparisons of uh, the upper limits from New Zealand here, as you can see, and they're trying to control the amount of fines at the end here, just for comparisons. As you might have guessed, if you can guess, this gradings is actually not for this guy. It's the grading for the recycled building materials. It's pretty good gradings. You would say that. But the result is not, as I've been saying. What this says to me is you need to see the complete pictures. Beside the gradings, as you know, what you need to see from this as well is the performance chart 
the sweet spot chart. That would complete the pictures. And if you're talking about trialing something new like this, continuous monitoring and making sure that consistency of materials quality, that's a key, you know, because sometimes what you tested in a lab is not actually, the quality is much different uh, to what you actually put on the ground. That happens all the time. Right, so this is our last case study, our case, uh, third case study from Colac, Otway. This is a share in Victoria. Uh, a, they were asking for similar scope uh, to Port Macquarie, but uh, mostly concentrated on the material sites, not so much of the um, maintenance practice. So, Oops, all right. So these are the list of materials that they have, basalts, scorias, and some river quartz. These questions is, as practitioners, those uh, from local shires or uh, LGAs, these three questions here, are the boundaries suited to your shires? Are the properties representative to the materials that you usually use? And how can they be improved? Those are the uh, basic questions that you should ask yourself. If you, if you started to think about assessing uh, materials for unsealed road in your area. Now in COLAC, they're dealing with the same usual issues of uh, materials availability and where to use them, uh, whether it's flat terrain or it's hilly terrain, as well as, uh, as my colleague Sia mentioned earlier, there were some instances where they have this uh, heavy vehicle turning movement, especially at the intersections and at grade to complicate matters a little bit more. Now, sweet spot charts, coming back to this, as you can see here, down the, at the bottom here is your basalts, as you can expect it. Basalts uh, usually don't have any uh, binders in them. I call it binders or cohesive properties, or some people might call it plasticity. Uh, basalts don't have any of them. And on the other spectrum up the top here, the yellow dot is your granitic sand. Granitic sand has a lot of binders in there. And the sweet spots are for them is the scorias, the small size scorias and the river quartz. So that's what we found from testing uh, the quarry source material. Looking at the, the gradings, what jumps out of the page using the same envelopes, that's the envelope from the unsealed road manuals, is this the, you've got the fine uh, materials with lot less larger stone the granitic sands and the smaller stone scorias or, or reefer quartz is up here. And then you have those large size stones down the bottom here. We're talking about blending options here. So for blending options, considerations, there are two 
practical considerations that I was taken at that time is Otway Hills area. This is the area within the Shire. It's quite hilly, mountainous areas. So the uh, consideration there is to try to prevent rut. What that means is you need to have a large of large stones. You need to have a structure in your mix. Introduce large stones will help that a lot. That's why the blending options basis for a blending option started with the 40 mils basalts. And then the mix are those with high binders. As you can see here, we have three different mixes for that. And the other considerations is on the Northern Plain where the terrain is pretty flat. Now here you've got a bit more, uh, it's, the terrain is a bit more forgiving for your maintenance. What that means is you gotta go easy on your grading blade thinking of that. So 20 millimeter basalts was used as a basis for blending options in this particular case. And to complete the, the procedures, if you can guess your sweet spots charts of one, two, three, four, five blending options followed it in this chart here. And they're all fit within within the that box there, the sweet spot box. Ah, questions. Uh, thank you so much, Laurie. Uh, thanks so much for uh, such a detailed presentation of the case studies. Um, and we have a few questions, but we're running out of time, unfortunately. So we might just be able to take a couple. Um, and I will start with the question that relates to slide 36. Um, so you touched here on recycled building materials. Um, as the result of the Port Macquarie study, so do you see a role for these recycled building materials? Ah, thank you. Interesting question. Yes, that's a short answer to that. I think I do see a role in that. Um, I think this would be a good, good exercise if people who want to start trialing these materials to implement the management framework that Sia and Taj been been talking about in the last hour and a half. You know, you start with your, with your uh, knowing your properties of your uh, recycled building materials, do some tests on them, and then see if there's availability of uh, materials, natural occurring materials with good binders in your areas. Then do some blending on them. If it comes out good, I would recommend to do a work on like a crown restoration, that type of thing. Start small before you go full blown reshooting alternatives. That would be my suggestion. Thank you, Laurie. Um, and one last question for this section um, in relation to slide 39. Um, so you talked here about gravel materials and how to get the mix right. Um, and the question we have is, are there any options uh, for blending with virgin material for recycled concrete? That's what I'm sort of alluding to. Uh, I don't think you can use the recycled concrete uh, without blending at all. So you almost have to try to um, look for uh, virgin materials, as you put it, or natural occurring materials. 
to try to get the binding properties to work with it. Thanks, Laurie. Um, thanks for your answers. And I will now hand over to Tarun um, for his concluding remarks. Thank you, Ekaterina, and thank you, Laurie, on, on that. Well, I hope uh, that's all been useful. Uh, I think you'll get the message and you understand it yourself clearly that there's many options out there that you need to keep on uh, trying. Uh, and unsealed roads are challenging. I mean, I find them very interesting. They throw things up to you all the time, so it's harder work, uh, but we can. Uh, I think, do better. What I uh, wanted to emphasise just in the last uh, slide or so was some other published work that you would be interested on. Uh, and it's got an emphasis on the cost impact on unsealed roads of additional freight tasks, etc. Now, this is a challenge uh, both on uh, unsealed roads and local sealed roads and state sealed roads. Uh, both sealed and unsealed that we face, where we have significant development, uh, resource development, mining industry, etc., all very important for the economy. But we have to understand that we are now subjecting our, local, our networks, our local and regional networks, to a different task. What we have done, working with our uh, customers and colleagues, I would say, in in Walga and Western Australia and Queensland and elsewhere, we've developed a number of guides and technical bases documents for estimating that incremental impact of increasing uh, uh, load of additional freight tasks. And it's really testimony to the amount of work that local government, Austroads, etc., has put into this area that we're more confident that we can apply our models and our strategies in these predictive forms. So here's two uh, example uh, guides. Uh, the Guide to Traffic Impact Assessment in Queensland has got a pavement impact assessment methodology and it's got technical basis behind it. And that brings together a lot of the work. Similarly, Walga and its uh, members in, in Western Australia have supported similar work. And there's other studies going on in this area at the moment under the WARIP, the Western Australia Road Research and Innovation Programme and elsewhere. It's always a big interest. The community on its own needn't always shoulder the burden of cost, it, significant additional cost. Uh, could uh, arise, will arise from additional freight. How do you then uh, reach solutions, compensation, etc., uh, that can make these networks sustainable? It's a very important consideration. So these are all available on the respective websites. And finally, just to make a few concluding remarks, and it's to thank Ostroads. Uh, the collaborating organisations that we've worked with over the last uh, four or five years and before that. Uh, Mick Savage has been a champion, Ross Guppy and others uh, within Austroads and within the wider community and also into the States. Just to say a few points, the background and key factors that 
Zia highlighted the LCC assessment of fundamental. As I mentioned and stressed, local conditions and evidence absolutely key. Uh, you guys have lots of experience. You can perhaps, you know, we can learn from it and so can uh, those in your organisations and wider. Practical issues need to get right. Overall, I trust that puts an understanding of practice and that helps. And really, I mean, what, what uh, motivates us is, is reinvigorating, encouraging capacity building to, to do better. So I'd like to thank Zia, uh, Laurie, and um, much of the other members of our team uh, for all the efforts they've made. And of course, Ekaterina and the team at Ostroads who's supported this and yourselves for participating. Thank you. Thank you very much, Tarun. Um, well, our session is drawing to a close, um, but before we wrap up, I just wanted to let you know about uh, the next webinars on our schedule, particularly uh, if you are involved in procurement for road projects, the session on the 31st of July, which is looking at the use of a new decision-making tool, uh, may be of interest to you. You might also want to join the session on the 11th of August, we will talk about a project to um, update the uh, suite of Australian standards used to determine the suitability of bitumen and related materials for use in um, road construction. Um, well, thanks again to our presenters, Tarun, Zia and Laurie, and thanks again to all of our participants today and your questions. And again, if we haven't answered your question during the session, we will do that in writing and uh, email you the copy of the response after the webinar. Um, after we close out today's session, a questionnaire will pop up on your screen. Please take a couple of minutes to send us your feedback. We do read it all uh, and we have been using your suggestions for future sessions to shape this year's program and um, to deliver more practical sessions. Uh, thanks again, everyone. Stay well and safe and um, enjoy the rest of your day. Bye-bye.